The addict does not exist alone. The actions and the effect that the addict has on themselves will undoubtedly impact all the family they're attached to. So I think in part, it has a lot to do with understanding the complex nature of the disease and certainly the complex nature of how humans form bonds. Yeah, yeah. It's so interlinked. Yeah. I think if you try to leave the family out, you may succeed in the short term, but not in the long term. Mm. We all come from families. Yeah, yeah. We all belong to families. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's through blood or just through friendship, yeah. we exist in units and groups and families. Yeah. Hello, all my friends. Welcome to the Recovery Connection podcast. I guess I just want to start off by saying, um, you know, we we love doing this podcast and it's so nice to have uh, community members come in and uh, share with us. You know, one of our missions here is to connect and educate all the organizations in, in Ottawa and people in recovery and viewers, you know, like you to the vast resources that have gone under the radar in our community. There's so many good organizations who are doing such great work, especially the way that everyone has uh, accommodated in the past year and a half uh, to keep those services going. I'm just so uh, glad that you're all able to join us. Remember to join us live on Facebook and YouTube at 8 p.m. on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. Uh, We'll all be chatting with friends and people in recovery and community organizations on topics that are important to us, you know, because we need to have a voice. Uh, The Recovery Connection is available on all major streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. So one week after the live podcast, you can go on those platforms and listen to uh what we had to say and uh john our uh producer does such a great job in uh editing out all the ahs and ums and and stuff that i do so it's uh it's really nice to listen to so you can also uh uh, join our website at jerichoroad.ca to learn more about jericho road and the recovery connection and keep up to date with what's going on now that all that stuff's over and done with i want to uh introduce our guest tonight we got to know Robert Ryan just through our connection with uh, Serenity Renewal as a part of, of our uh, vision of, of, you know, kind of connecting us all. And so Robert agreed to come and, and talk to me tonight. You wouldn't believe sometimes I have to convince people to come and talk to me, but you said yes right away. So I'm very happy with that. Um, so it's a great pleasure for me to introduce Robert Ryan. And so let's start off, Robert. What do you do at Serenity Renewal? Well, thank you for uh, having me here. Uh, I'm delighted to share my story and my experiences. Mm. So um, away we go. My connection with uh, Serenity is I am the uh, chairperson of the board. I've been on the board of Serenity since uh, 2018. Wow. And I've served... Um, as chair uh, for the past year, yeah. so it's been a very, um, it's been a very interesting ride, <laughs> shall we say, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, yeah. 
For those of you who don't know Serenity, our renewal uh, for families, we've been around for uh, 35 years. Our founder was Sister uh, Louise Dunn, a Catholic nurse and a spitfire and someone who was a, a pioneer mm. in the field of understanding that uh, the disease of addiction affects the addict, obviously, mm. but it also affects uh, the family of the addict as well. And Sister, way, way back when, when she got into this field, uh, quickly started to understand that if we don't help the family of the addict, we cannot help uh, the addict. Mm. So Serenity's uh, genesis was really looking at the complex factors. Yeah. Hence the name, Serenity, a renewal for uh, uh, families. Yeah. You know, when, when you said that uh, Serenity Renewal has been around for 25 years, that struck 35, me. 35. 35, sorry. 35, that struck yeah. me because, you know, Jericho has been around for 30, I think, from the from day one when Ray Demaray started. So yeah. both of these organizations have been, been around for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can probably safely say that we've helped thousands and thousands of people yeah. Yeah. in Ottawa yeah. over the years. Yeah. One of the things that always struck me, you know, that we were, when we were talking before we got on air tonight, if you've been in recovery and, and are actively involved in carrying the message in the city, you can't help but have heard of Sister Louise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think she was, she was uh, celebrated at uh, recovery day three years ago. She was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yes. As a, as yeah. a pioneer of recovery in, in Ottawa yep. and, and for all the great work that she did. Yep. Just as I was uh, joining the board, I believe it was back in 2018, I was uh, lucky enough to serve with sister on the board for about uh, six months. Yeah. Um, and then she got ill, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. But I got a taste of what this 85-year-old woman stood for. Yeah. And it was really interesting all because her spirit of love and care was so obvious. Her passion and her uh, commitment towards making everyone feel worthy mm. was quite something to sense. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I mean, obviously, when the founder who had such a, a magnitude, when she did uh, pass away, there was a period, unfortunately, on the board where we seriously thought about maybe it's time we close the doors. Mm. Our funding was quite uh, precarious, and uh, we decided, let's just see how it goes. And it's been going rather well ever since. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy to say that. And what drew you to Serenity? <laughs> 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 this is a public broadcast, yeah. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, let, let, okay, let me rephrase that. What, why serenity sure. for yeah, you yeah, to yeah. be volunteering? No, because sure. I, I always yeah. like I always ask because you know what I, I, I serve on the board of the Ottawa Food Bank. Yeah, and people do ask me, you know, why the why are you serving on the board at the Ottawa Food Bank? For me, it, it you know, it was very simple because. I was so familiar with the work that they had done uh, being mm. at Jericho Road and, and the, the amounts of people that they had helped. And so mm. it was a no-brainer, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
So that's why I asked the question. What 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 drew you there to give up your time? Sure. Well, a few things. Uh, I myself have been in a recovery now for uh, six years. Yeah. As we all know, doing some type of service mm. is really key. Now, I've also been a fundraiser and a, a not-for-profit a manager for over 32 years. Wow. So I have a lot of experience in this field of making organizations work. Yeah, yeah. So I was approached by some uh, people at the time. One was a volunteer on the board. Yeah. And the other one was a longtime uh, facilitator. Uh, they got word of me, and so they invited me to lunch. Mm-hmm. And little did I know... <laughs> Their ulterior motives. It was nothing about being yeah. kind. You were it thinking was, of the free meal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was the <laughs> I was the sacrificial pig on the <laughs> altar. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. So, you know, I mean, honestly, yeah. it was like, yeah, you know, because at that time, uh, they really they needed help, and I said, yeah, sure, yeah, I'll be on the board. I would like to do yeah. that. And honestly, there are some organizations, I mean, I've, I've actually worked as a board consultant for about uh, five years in the States, and uh, I've served on a lot of boards, uh, being a fundraiser, mm-hmm. of course, it's mm-hmm. like I've worked with lots of boards. So I know a little bit about how boards tick. What keeps you in the fundraising game? Because that's a hard game. I don't know. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, no, I do. Like, like I, 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 I do. We do, I do. We do fundraising. Do. We have yeah. to in order to survive. Yeah. And and I find I find it sometimes very, you know, to be polite taxing. You yes. know? And that's, and so how how do you that's being very polite. How do you manage to stay yeah. in that game for so many years? Well, it's funny. I'm I'm actually uh, retiring in December from my uh, full-time job at the yeah. uh, uh, Telfer School of Management at the okay. University of Ottawa. I fell into fundraising without any great plan or thought. I wanted to be an opera singer, but in my late uh, 20s, I, no, I, I actually did a lot of singing. Really? But sort of in my late uh, 20s, early 30s, I started to realize that um, singing for one supper is not it's kind of difficult. Yeah. So I started to do other things. Um, a temp agency uh, landed me in this uh, not-for-profit. At the time, I was living in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, the Trust for Public Land. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I also went to uh, Vassar College in the States. Okay. What I quickly realized was at this um, uh, not-for-profit, all the fundraisers were like always having a good time, schmoozing, throwing parties. I was like, hell, I could do that. <laughs> and, Sign me up. And get paid for it? <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. No, but also too, what I realized is that in the field of fundraising, I'm actually quite honored to have served so many incredible uh, missions over the years. Mm-hmm. Um and my life has been enriched tenfold. Mm. I mean, I can't, I can't explain enough in terms of uh, the experiences I've had mm-hmm. in my life serving on missions that are not only interesting, but the purpose of what they do changes the world. Mm. 
So, I mean, I'm ending this uh, 32 year stint thinking like, wow, yeah, I actually did something. Yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. It is. It is. And obviously in my work with um, uh, Serenity as a board member and a volunteer, yeah. I still get that feeling of I'm doing something that's mm-hmm. really important mm-hmm. and I can see the change. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I, you know, I get that. I get that mm-hmm. totally. Especially in, in the field of uh, addiction recovery, you know, we, we see a lot of loss. A tremendous amount a of tremendous loss. A tremendous amount of loss, and especially in, in the past uh, little while with, with this pandemic. But it's those wins that always keep me going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes they're few and far between, but a win is a win. Yeah. yeah right? Yeah. Yeah. So the big challenge, running NFPs. What do you think the big challenge is? Like, I know there's a lot of challenges, but in your view, from a fundraiser point of view, what's the big challenge? Well, uh, sorry, uh, in terms of running uh, not-for-profits? Yeah, yeah. In general, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. sure, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take um, Serenity as an example because I know it very well. Yeah. Oftentimes, these organizations, uh, their missions are really key, very important. Uh, the staff work incredibly hard but it's resource poor. Mm. And year after year, if you don't have a solid base of support, you simply can't offer the services uh, that you um, uh, should be. As I mentioned earlier, like, I mean, seriously, in like uh, 2019, uh, the board sat down in December and seriously thought about it's time to close the doors. Yeah. So I think it's, in, well, actually, I do have one very funny story with a uh, sister and the and her uh, co-founder uh, she was another uh, catholic nun i met her and uh, she was explaining to me oh fundraising oh god oh, oh i can't stand that what asking people for, <laughs> for how could money. i possibly yeah. no i can't ask people oh no i don't like it and i'm thinking okay so how did you act so what how did this organization survive yeah and she looked at me in all seriousness, as only a Catholic nun can, and said, no, no, God, God will provide. Yeah. God has provided for the past 35 years, and he will continue. Now, as a fundraiser, I learned very early on, hope is a four-letter word. It could be a fundraising strategy, if you wish, but it's probably not the best strategy yeah. to apply. Yeah. But what's really interesting is that Serenity has survived many times through the skin of its teeth. Yeah. So there's honestly there's a certain scrappiness yeah. about the sector, yeah. about these small organizations who are supported by teams of people, volunteers, yeah. donors. And I believe with some of these organizations, it's in their DNA. Yeah. It's how they came to be. It's how they work. It's how they live that somehow they do survive. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to say now with Serenity, I think our funding models are working better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting to get more funding from the uh, the, uh, the city of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Big shout out. Thank you, city <laughs> of Ottawa. Huge shout out if you're listening. Uh, the Trillium uh, Foundation. Yeah, OTF, Huge yeah. shout out. And the and the um, uh, community uh, foundation of Ottawa. Yeah. So we're starting to get some 
of the buy-in from larger, more established stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. That's the good news. Yeah. The bad news is once you start to build a fundraising operation, you have to feed the beast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's just the way it is, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And you know, you and I, when when we were talking in our in our pre pre uh, podcast uh, chat, um, we were saying how how as nonprofits we're able to adapt really quickly, right? Because yeah. we're so used to right. doing so much with so with little, so little, exactly, right? So having challenges come our way to a normal business would be a big deal, but to us, it's not because we're so used to right you know, doing so much with so little and, and facing adversity very quickly. Right, right. And, and go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was I, I was going to say that I think the uh, pandemic is a fantastic example of how Serenity as a small organization was able to pivot very, very quickly to, uh, from offering our uh, counseling uh, services, uh, the workshops uh, we do and such. Mm -hmm. And we switched very quickly online. I think a lot of the recovery community in this city pivoted very quickly. Yeah. We, ha we didn't have a choice. Right. 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 There was no, let's talk about it. It was no, what are we doing? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And also too, I think oftentimes with these smaller organizations, the experimentation and the creation of, of different types of uh, programs, seeing if it works, mm -hmm. trying new things, failing, and being okay with the failure, and trying something else. I think innovation often starts with these smaller operations. Yeah. And one thing that uh, Sister Louise did, um, I believe she went to the States in the 1980s, and she spent close to a year, I think, studying with the um, uh, Hazel Dean. Yes. Uh, foundation. And she took a lot of information, a lot of the thinking, a lot of the uh, coursework with her back here. Mm -hmm. And she applied all of that. Mm -hmm. So really, uh, the genesis of a lot of our uh, programming stemmed, mm -hmm. stemmed I, from I her think, studies. I think from a lot of with people who are in, in the NFP sector, especially in the recovery sector, we, we, we take a lot from Hazel Dean. Yeah. It's, it's a marvelous institution in the Betty Ford Center. And yes. if, if any of our listeners out there, to take a look at their website, it's, it's just marvelous and, and what they offer and what they're trying to do and how successful they've been. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 We were talking also, because I always bring this up when I have our community uh, partners here, is the halo effect. Mm. And the recent one in Canada statistic for the halo effect is for every dollar you give to a nonprofit, it's worth about uh, $5 to a city or municipal or provincial organization. And basically what's that saying is uh, you're better off to give your money to the nonprofits. Yes. And why do you think that is? <laughs> I think there's a few things happening here. The not-for-profit sector, I'm very proud to say, I think is governed by good people. They have good boards. There's enough of checks and balances in place where I think these organizations know how to work effectively with the resources that they have. Mm -hmm. 
I think by and large, uh, the governance models work mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. The other factor that plays, and I'm going to say something so painfully obvious, I know the audience is going to go, duh, <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> it's not for profit. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. When you're actually thinking and strategizing and working towards a not-for-profit model, yeah. when you take out the equation that you have shareholders or you have other people who are concerned about not doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but making more money off of something mm-hmm. that you're doing, ultimately doing the right thing takes second place towards doing what is necessary. Yes in a manner that by and large is ethical. Yeah. I feel very strongly yeah. about this, all because I've spent my entire, entire life. working yeah. life in this yeah. sector. Yeah, I, I have a friend of mine that says, in the nonprofit sector, your shareholders are the people you serve. Exactly. And, and, when and you, ultimately, how can you let how, them down? Exactly. And when you look at it that way, to me, it's, it's enlightening. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 So what do you think... Um, how do I say this? Because you had said it, and I put it in quotations in my notes, the, the highs and lows of fundraising like an accordion. I, <laughs> I loved when you said that. Yeah. Because right away I got that picture of the accordion going in. Lawrence Welk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, well, uh, you know, again, I'll use uh, Serenity as an example, but I could use a lot of other um, uh, for profits Serenity went through stages of uh, tremendous growth where... Uh, where they were very savvy and they got in huge grants from um, uh, from various funders. And again, if if you're used to being small and you get in a lot of money, your inclination is to grow and to spend it. Mm. That's great. Go for it. Mm-hmm. But eventually those monies dry up and they end. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have either a solid uh, strategic plan or you don't have a real solid um, uh, fundraising plan, you're going to shrink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think oftentimes some organizations don't plan for long-term growth. It's more short-term. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the short term, you can expand and then you have to shrink and mm-hmm. then you expand mm-hmm. and you shrink. So yeah. that's... And I can relate to that because we've done it at Jericho. It's typical. We, we've expanded yeah. and then two years later, we've had to drop a house. Oops, what did we what do? What did we do? Right. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah, whose idea was that? Yeah, <laughs> wasn't mine. <laughs> wasn't mine, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Yeah. And the other thing too with nonprofits, especially from a public uh, perception, is that if we end up, having a surplus at the end of the year. That's horrible. That's horrible. You can't do that. Of course you can't do do that. Why do we have this mentality? Because it's a stupid mentality. No, no, actually, okay. I praise the not-for-profit sector. Now I will not praise it. What the public and what a lot of funders don't understand and what the for-profit sector gets time and time again is R&D is not a bad thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Research and development, it takes money. It takes money to make money. It takes money to figure out really good uh, programming. It takes money to hire good people because we're not elephants and we don't work for peanuts. And I'll say that again. We are not (laughs) elephants and we do not work for peanuts. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt. Why does the public 
have this perception or this belief that if you're working in the nonprofit sector, you shouldn't be making what someone in the profit sector is making. I do think that perception is changing. I really do. Over the years, I think people have come to understand just how large this sector is Mm -hmm. and how vital it is to the health of our uh, society. Mm -hmm. But there's still a stigma attached to the whole idea of, well, you're working in it because it's it's out of the goodness and kindness yes. of your heart. Yeah. Of course you would do something. Yes, of course I'd do that, but I got to eat too. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. I remember, yeah, so, I remember no, reading an changing. article in the uh, uh, Center for Addiction and Mental Health, and they were saying how people who are working in the recovery uh, non-for-profit sector are very much underpaid. And why why mm. are we underpaying people with lived in experience where where their experience is just as valuable or maybe in, in some situation even more valuable yeah. than someone who, who went to, uh, yeah. you know, college or whatever and got their social services degree or, you know. And so why, why are we doing this? And, and, and we have to stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the answer. I, well, you'll get back to me when that, when that yeah, pops I, into I your will. head. I yeah. Will. Yeah. However, I will say something for various funding models. An often overlooked area of fundraising is plant giving. It's when people die yeah. and they leave money in their wills to their favorite charities. Yeah. I can't stress this enough. A little-known secret about fundraising with hospitals, and especially with um, higher education institutions like the University of Ottawa, the income off of plan giving is huge. And it's something, unfortunately, in our sector with smaller charities like Jericho, like Serenity, it could be quite a fulsome, robust, a predictable stream of income. Yeah, yeah. So encouraging our supporters to leave money in their estates to their favorite charities yeah. is really important yeah. because ultimately you can't take it with you. Yeah, yeah. There was, so that's my plug there, there for plan giving. Well, no, but you know, you're bang on because there was an article in LinkedIn I was reading the other day on not-for-profits in the States and the big, uh, the top, you know, 10 not-for-profits and how much money that, that they take in every year. Oh. And like three out of the top five were universities. Yeah, right. Just blew me away. Yeah. And most of it was planned giving. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, we can do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about the pains of growing and expanding in the not-for-profit sector. We, we kind of touched base before on, on that accordion mm. and, you know, sometimes we expand and then we have to shrink a little and then expand again. H- how, do you, how do you think that we stay relevant as a nonprofit? How, how do we continue to stay relevant yeah. through the changing of things? Sure. Well, I think in our field of addiction and helping those uh, families and uh, people who have this illness, it's really staying on top of where the um, where the sector is um, going. Yeah. Um, I know for us at uh, Serenity, uh, what we started to realize is that our niche is offering offering people short term counseling, 
Uh, we offer educational uh, workshops. Uh, we offer uh, support to families, including um, uh, children. Yeah. Uh, we also offer uh, aftercare yes. as well. Yeah. So basically, you know, I mean, our our uh, bundle of uh, services, if you will, will basically help someone who is either in early stages of uh, recovery or they've had a relapse and they're out of a rehab or their families can't cope. Yeah. You know, I mean, our niche is is in that area. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it's just I find that, you know, I mean, all over the city we have so many of these uh, services. Yeah. Uh, but we're all sort of looking at the uh, problem from... Uh, uh, from different uh, lenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you, I think you summed that up really well. You know, one of the things that that we did here at Jericho was start a family support meeting hmm. because you know, speaking of of how how the relevancy and 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 that just came out of people reaching out to us and saying, okay, you know, my my son is going through your program, but we don't know what what to do. You know, like when he gets out, what do we do? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is totally understandable because I think of the pain and the suffering that I, I put my parents through and the lack of, of information or resources that they had to deal with me. Good golly, you know? Yeah. And, and so that's, that's how that all kind of started. So that's part of, of, of the remaining relevant to the people that we're serving. You know, I think the relevancy comes from the needs that we see. Yes. Right. Because, yeah. Unfortunately, as a society, we are recessing the, the services that a lot of people who are experiencing addiction, homelessness, whatever it may be, mm. um, those services are, are slowly being pulled back. Yeah. Well, also, too, I, I think one thing that I've always found uh, remarkable with uh, Serenity is that um, all because our roots are very deep with the um, uh, Catholic Church. Mm. I'm really proud to say this, and it's true. We don't turn anyone away mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for lack of money and mm -hmm. funding. Like, if you need help, we'll figure it out. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Because it's sometimes we, we kind of, scary. Yeah, but... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's for, for us, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we, we do the same thing here at Jericho. And, yeah. and we'll, we'll say to people, you know, there is a fee, yeah. but it's, it's based on income. And if you don't have any income, we're not going to say no. Right. Like it's, it's that yeah. simple. Yeah. Right. And, you know, part of this previous conversation about the, the resources being pulled back, especially in our provincial government, I think those cracks are getting bigger. Yes. And I think it, it we notice it because when those cracks get bigger, we see the direct result of that and well, that's of more more people needing help yeah. yeah yeah let's you know kind of continue with that thinking about misunderstanding in society about addiction mm. and what causes it do you think that we're doing a good job on educating the public or do you think that that we're leaving that to the government to do and they're doing a piss poor job i think what's happened is Addiction has become such a problem in our society that 
we can no longer sweep it under the table. Mm. I really think that too many of our young people have died from overdoses that should not have happened. I think a lot of our policies, our laws, some of it is well-intentioned, but at the same time, you, you know, honestly, I mean, I grew up in the States. I'm in my early 60s. I remember Nancy Reagan standing there <laughs> with her no. huge eyes looking at Ronnie. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> Seriously. Unfortunately, that just say no mentality is, unfortunately, it's still alive and well. And the stigma of addiction is such that society would rather just say no. I think now it's become, I mean, you can't ignore the fact. In fact, I was just uh, listening to the uh, CBC morning show uh, yesterday, I believe, and they had this whole segment. Yeah. And it's it's just horrible. The numbers, the, the numbers are just horrifying. The numbers are <clears throat> devastating. Yeah. And the sad thing is this could all be avoided if we started to understand that yeah, you do these people need more help yeah. and it's okay yeah. to and, and it's not a choice. It's it's a disease. Yes. It's a disease. Yeah. So I do think, unfortunately, I think because it's it's becoming more out in the open, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have a ways to go to understand, like, what is it going to take to stem this tide? Yeah, and things like just say no is set not us back <laughs> <laughs> twenty five to fifty years in yes. the understanding. Of, yeah. of mental health and addiction, yeah, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, if it was a moral choice, you and I wouldn't be sitting here. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So how do we, how do you think we can go about as, as communities, as uh, people in the nonprofit sector, and let's just say in this city, let's not think any bigger, no. <laughs> but just this city, how do you think we can start going about educating people better because I firmly believe that we can't leave it up to the government, whether it's municipal, provincial, we just can't leave it up to them. So what do you think? Are we doing a good job in educating the, the John and and Jane public, or do you think we could be improving there? Well, um, I do have to preface that this is not my area of expertise Mm -hmm. and I'm only speaking as someone who is a volunteer and who is involved in the uh, recovery uh, community. I think there are a number of small organizations like uh, Serenity and like uh, Jericho Mm -hmm. who do a fantastic job. Uh, We certainly educate all of our our supporters, Mm -hmm. all of our uh, donors in terms of what's happening. I think there are certain uh, departments in the city of Ottawa who know what's going on and they care and they are certainly uh, providing more um, uh, resources Mm -hmm. to us. But I think ultimately, I don't know if it's the charge of the people involved or the not-for-profits, but to attack the stigma head on and just saying, this is a disease. Mm -hmm. It's like cancer. Yeah. It's a disease. We have no choice. Yeah. So 
I'm not sure whose responsibility is it, but mm-hmm. I know it. Our serenity, uh, we spend a great deal of time uh, trying to explain why we do what we what do. What we do, yeah. It's the why. Yeah. I think if we spent a little bit more effort on that, yeah. it would make more sense. Yeah. Unfortunately, I find like newscasts like the CBC, they do a great job of making people aware of the problem. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. But if you don't start to offer explanations of what the possible solutions are, you just scare the yeah. bejesus out of the public. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I listened to that on CBC yeah. myself. Right. And the first thing that kind of hit me afterwards was they didn't talk about the why. No. Why, why are people doing this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's like I always say, no one wakes up in the morning and says, Today, I'm going to be an alcoholic. Right. Right. I <laughs> yeah. think, you know, yeah, yeah. why not? Right. We can't, we can't really have a good conversation without talking about the family disease. Mm. And we, we always say here at Jericho, this is a family disease. What does that mean? Uh, well, I think it means that the addict does not exist alone. Mm the actions and the effect that the addict has on themselves will undoubtedly impact all the family they're attached to. So I think in part it has a lot to do with understanding the complex nature of the disease and certainly the complex nature of how humans form bonds. Yeah, yeah. It's so interlinked. Yeah. And do you think that we can't attack this uh, problem leaving the family out? I think if you try to leave the family out, you may succeed in the short term, but not in the long term. Mm. We all come from families. Yeah. Yeah. We all belong to families. And whether it's through blood or just through friendship, we exist in units and groups and families. Yeah. So we are we are social that. beings, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think um, is the biggest struggle for a family who has a son or a daughter who is in treatment? I think the hardest thing is understanding uh, that they can't help the addict until the addict understands uh, that they need to help themselves. Mm. And the hardest thing is to watch someone go through another horrible episode, yeah. another bottom. Yeah. Another huge mess up. Yeah. And to stand back and not help them. Yeah. That's the hardest thing. Yeah. That's the absolute hardest thing. Yeah. And for a parent to show so much love and support by not doing anything is really difficult. Detached love. But that's what it takes. Oftentimes that's what it takes. Yeah. And to be able to walk with someone through that. Right. Is incredible because our first instinct is always to help out. Right. Right. How can I make this better? Yeah. As as a friend of mine says, uh, my job became lessening the consequences for my son. Yes. And his actions. Yes. Yeah. And, and it consumed him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing too that I find interesting with an organization like uh, Serenity that has been around for so many years. You know, I mean, we have children. 
who grew up with uh, <laughs> other parents mm-hmm. who were helped by uh, Sister mm-hmm. Louise. <clears throat> and now they're adults. Yeah. And they need help. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing how the cycles. Yeah, the circle. It keeps on continuing. Yeah. How do we, as organizations, how do you think we can all start taking what we talked about earlier, kind of those silos down? How do we start helping each other out? I always say on this podcast, nothing we do is proprietary. <laughs> <laughs> we don't own no, the, it's not. <clears throat> the 12-step no. model and we're going to keep it here. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have to come here and buy my yeah. book. Right. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Nothing we do yeah. is proprietary. So why are we so hesitant to help each other out? Well, I look at it. It's, you know, uh, years ago uh, when I was getting my uh, master's in management for the uh, Canadian uh, voluntary sector at um, uh, McGill, uh, we studied these models. And one was the uh, scarcity model Mm -hmm. and one was uh, the abundance model. Mm. Unfortunately, we tend to do a lot of our work from the scarcity model. Why? Well, because I think we honestly think that there's only there's only so many um, uh, donors. There's only so much uh, support out yeah, there. Yeah. There's just enough for me, and I got to hold on to what yeah, I have. Yeah. The abundance model, oppositely, always says, "No, no, there's plenty out there. Learn how to work with one another. Things will come to you. It's endless. Don't worry. Yeah. Cooperate. Yeah." Don't hide. Two very different models. I think in our field, we sometimes use both lenses at the same time. And that's, you know, all because it's just, I mean, I look at the number of small uh, not-for-profits who could probably hire one fundraiser yeah, and share the fundraiser. And imagine sharing donors. Oh my God, what oh, a concept. <laughs> Sharing donors? That's going to blow your okay. mind, isn't it? Okay, we're done here. We're done here, bye. <laughs> out, get out of here right yeah. now. Who brought you this idealist in? Holy jeez. Get out of here now. I, no, but, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. I would. Do, do you see the pressure that would take off of these organizations? Of course it would. Yeah, of course it would. Yeah, it's like, you know, imagine... Sharing a CFO, yeah. sharing a fundraiser, yeah. sharing an accountant, yeah. sharing a program officer. Do because think, ultimately, we all do kind of the same well, thing. Well, that's just it. That's in just ways. it. Yeah. In and I think, ways. I think, you know, you, you've enlightened me this evening because I think the proprietary that we think we have, the proprietary is our funders. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. we don't want to share those with anybody. God, no. And, and if I'm huh? working or, or sharing resources, with some other NFP, right. some of my donors might go over there. Yeah. yeah. God forbid. <laughs> wow. Okay. I think, you know, I'm enlightened. I'm enlightened. Okay. So let's go back. How do we start yeah. taking down the silos? Yeah. No, I actually, I do think by uh, talking to one another yeah. and figuring out what we do and sort of how we can uh, complement each other. Mm. Uh, where does um, uh, my role and mm-hmm. and yours begin? Mm-hmm. 
you know, and also I, I think it's important to look at the um, uh, synergies mm. of the whole thing and understand like, yeah, you know, I think we can both work with one another in certain areas. Mm-hmm. You know, but what? there has to be a willingness on the part uh, of the sector to come together. Okay, so th- you've hit it right on the head. One of our previous guests, we were talking, and one of the ideas that she had shared with us was that we, where do we start? Well, she said, let's just start by getting together. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's do a a dinner, you know, not a formal dinner, but an informal, let's get together, at least just start talking to one another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're from the Shepherds. Oh, you're from. Oh, nice mm. to meet you. Do, do, do. What do you do? You know, yeah. and because all I firmly believe that all great uh, ideas come from that initial conversation. Yeah. And and we don't talk to one another. No, we no. don't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we started this podcast. Yeah. Because just, I was like, we got to start talking to one another. Right. right. Yeah. How are we supposed to help each other out? Because we're all in the same game. Yeah. Right? We're yeah. all in the same game. And that's to help others who can't help themselves. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. why aren't we working together? Okay. The pandemic. How did you guys fare during the pandemic? Well, as I said earlier, uh, we pivoted fast uh, from doing our uh, services in person to online. Yeah. With our workshops, uh, we were actually t- uh, to offer more uh, workshops. And we started to know that uh, more people were actually uh, taking these mm-hmm. uh, workshops as well. So our services uh, during the pandemic actually increased, all because it was easier for people to uh, find us. Yeah, yeah. So in some respects, it's actually uh, worked in our favor. Yeah. Um, I think our uh, counselors were... Uh, pleasantly surprised, meaning uh, starting to do more online work was effective. Yeah, yeah. In some respects, it forced us to rethink how we actually offer our uh, services. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually been cool. Yeah. And as we discussed earlier, uh, there have been more monies uh, floating about. Yeah. And and we've certainly uh, benefited from that. Yeah. As well. So, but now having said all this, uh, the downside, of course, is that our services are, um, we are working full out. Yeah. The demand has never been this large for us. It's been exponential. So people have truly been affected adversely. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, the, the isolation factor alone for those who are struggling with substance use disorders has been horrible. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we know that, that we are going to experience, um, um, an even bigger demand as we come out of this. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's the downside. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I want to talk about, um, the word scrappy. I like the word scrappy. We always say it here at Jericho, we're scrappy. Yeah. <clears throat> Why are not-for-profits scrappy? And you, you, when we had talked about this in, the, in our pre-conversation, you said we're very light on our feet. Yeah. So how did that help us during the past year and a half? I can tell you how it helped Serenity was to look at our lineup of programming 
and the facilitators who run our educational uh, workshops were able to figure out pretty damn fast <laughs> what the people needed. Yeah. It was really like, okay, like scrap this one. Let's do that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one's not working. Let's do this one. Yeah. I think a lot of our short term uh, counseling was focused on issues that were basically um, the issues were, were always there. However, uh, the pandemic made them much larger. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, the themes kept coming up over and over again. Reoccurring. Yeah. yeah. I think our aftercare just, you know, uh, just in terms of um, what uh, people were uh, having to go through. Yeah. yeah. So one of the benefits of being small is you can change things. Yeah. You know, if it yeah. doesn't work, scrap it and yeah. do something yeah. else. Yeah. And, and how we're, uh, uh, the lack of, bureaucracy really al helps. allows us to Absolutely, do that yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it's like well what do you think i don't yeah. know what do you yeah. think yeah okay that's not working yeah. well let's yeah. stop doing yeah. it there's no pipe to shoot no, it up right no, yeah no. yeah <laughs> yeah let's see what sticks and, and yeah. go from there yeah yeah i agree i agree and and you know we know and and i i i try to make this uh, re i repeat myself on every podcast episode because I think we really need to understand this. You know, McLean's had uh, done an article and they called it every 49 minutes. And there was a week period, I think it was last May, where uh, more people were dying from uh, overdoses and related deaths mm. than people were dying from COVID. It was every 49 minutes and in this week period across mm. Canada, someone was dying from an overdose or alcohol related illness. Mm. And that number, stuck in my head because I thought, my goodness, if we care that much about society and what's going on with COVID and the people dying and this overdose number is surpassing it, why aren't we caring as much about that? And right. I don't expect an answer from you. I oh, just, I have an answer. Get, hit me. <laughs> hit me. But we're almost <laughs> That's okay. That's time. okay. We don't got any questions. Um, okay. I liken this towards AIDS in the 80s. It took the government years to finally understand that, oh, we've got to do something about this. These homosexuals are dying. Yeah. I guess we're finally going to have to care about them. Yeah. It was the activists that finally got the government off of its ass. To do something. Yes. It was the people who were involved and affected in their own lives by their own actions by their own illnesses who finally said we've had enough yeah unfortunately addicts there's so much working against them in order to uh, be able to stand up and say i need help mm. this is a disease yeah it's the same as aids it's a disease yeah it's not a choice yeah so I do think that there are some uh, similarities here. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of um, uh, differences as yeah. well. But I do think that when the governments in the U.S. and Europe and Canada finally started to understand that if we don't do something about this, this will continue yeah. and it will get much worse. I hate to hear that. 
because I think, I think it, it, it is worse. Yeah. And I think, I think this pandemic has, has lifted that blanket of worseness. It has, it has. Right. It has. That's where my, my heart goes is. But uh, the silver lining here is, and it is a silver lining. If you get it more out in the open. Yeah. The more people understand this. Yes. The more people live with it. Yeah. The more they start to understand what are the consequences of inaction versus action. Yeah. Change does happen. Yeah. So I am optimistic. Well, that's good to know. Because every now and then, I personally don't feel that optimism. Mm. Sometimes I feel like we're we're hitting a wall, and mm. and more people need to understand. You know, I kind of relate it. I'll, I'll be very um, personal in my relation to this. I had drinking for twenty twenty five plus years, chronically in the last ten, chronically. And I, I couldn't understand why I was doing what I was doing. How many promises I had made to myself, to my parents, to my significant others at that time. And every time I broke those promises. Because my solution or the solution that I thought was that it was a matter of willpower. You know? Mm. And I remember hearing it from my mother. Don't you have the willpower to stop this? God bless her. Right? Because she didn't know any different. And so I always thought that this was a matter of willpower. And, and, and you know, I, I, I just didn't have it. And I was, I was screwed. Mm. You know? And it wasn't until I walked into my first uh, AA meeting. It, was, uh, it wasn't my first, but I mean my first real attempt at listening. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and it was at St. Basil's Church, and they were doing um, uh, the illness chart because it's a lecture meeting. And someone mm. was explaining the allergy, the obsession, the uh, emotional gummit that I'm living in of fear, guilt, shame, mm. resentment. And for the first time in my life, like it felt like someone had hit me on the side of a head with a brick. And mm. I was like, oh my goodness, this. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. It started to make sense. The fog started to be lifted. And, and the bonus is that that 12-step program gave me a solution, right? Mm. That's kind of what I wished for people today is to get that brick across the head moment yeah. and, and realize this is not a moral choice. This is not a decision. Yeah. This is a disease. Yeah. Yeah. And and if I don't do something about it, yeah. you know, what is the, the big book in AA say? Jails, institutions, or death. Mm. That's the result. Yeah. And so as a society, we need to understand that. Mm. Because that every 49 minutes is not going to be for a week. No, no. It's going to be yeah. for a month. Mm. And then it's going to be for four months. And that's my passion about this. Mm. We really have to help people understand yes. that, that, that yeah. this is a disease. Hmm. Robert, I don't know what to say other than thank you. The conversation was enlightening. I've learned something. To me, that's, that's a bonus. I, I guess I want to say thank you for serving on the board at Serenity Renewal because those, those positions are integral to the operation of these services. And without volunteer board members, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. 
because in, in, in this province, you need to have a board to run an <laughs> NFP. So if there's no board, there's no <laughs> NFP. And so <clears throat> from, from myself, from Jericho Road, from all the other uh, people in the city who do such good work, we say thank you for serving on the board. Uh, thank you for being uh, willing to do those things and step out for the people who can't step out for themselves. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for more information on Serenity Renewal, and I'm going to repeat this again because they are such a good organization and what they do, they do well. Let me repeat that. What they do, they do well. And we at Jericho Road are very fortunate that in the in the uh, new year, uh, we're going to be doing the Family of Origins at, uh, at Serenity Renewal. I'm so excited about doing that. So for more information on, on Serenity Renewal, visit their website at serenityrenewal.ca. And I'm going to give their phone number because a lot of us still uh, may have um, issues when it comes to getting on the web and whatnot, especially, I mean, our library is open in Ottawa now. I can't, I was talking to someone the other day and I think a couple are open, but some of us don't have uh, web access. So if you want to give them a shout, their phone number is 613-523-5143. I'll repeat that real quick. It's 613-523-5143. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, remember to uh, join us in two weeks with uh, Father Alan McDonald. And uh, please, please go on to our uh, website and check out our auction and uh, any other information that you may be curious about. Uh, John's done such a wonderful job there. And uh, we look forward to uh, uh, seeing you again. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And we'll see you soon. Goodbye.